Scuttlebutt, podcast episode number eight. Scuttlebutt is a Bertha May production, sponsored by Portland Media Center. Scuttlebutt was written by Donnie McVean. It is read by Roger Burley, hosted by Leslie McVean. Music, Scuttlebutt, courtesy of the composer Chuck Romanoff. Scuttlebutt is the story of two young men from a tiny community in Casco Bay, Maine, one who went to war during World War II and one who stayed home, and how their dreams of life in the community have changed. When we last left Scuttle, Manley and Sperma were ready to leave Portland and get back to Scuttle with their new landing barge lobster boat, not too sure they had made the right decision in purchasing it. And now, episode eight of Scuttlebutt. See the burly longshoreman showing off his biceps, even and a hauling mighty freighters in and out. All of the town folk think he's quite a guy, except he don't lift a finger to help around the house. Scuttlebutt, ain't it a shame? Nobody knows, nobody's to blame. The truth ain't pretty, I think you'll agree. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me. Right after Manley and Richie did get back, a boat with South Portland, painted freehand on the stern, pulled in. It was right plumb loaded with these round black things, yet the boat did not appear to have any weight in it. Manley was amazed to see the waterline showing, loaded as she was. He soon found out that Sperma had made a deal and now needed money to pay the crew he had hired to salvage the round, black, rubber-like things that now filled the boat. He had brought a couple of the things home from the trash pile at the South Portland shipyard site when he had worked at the shipyard. To test them, he had added enough weight to sink them to the bottom on a rope. He left them on the bottom for a month at the deepest part of the ferry dock. When he finally did retrieve them, he could find no hint that they had absorbed any water. He told Manley he needed $10 to pay these men and $6 for the lobster boat that had delivered a full boatload of the black things that didn't appear to weigh hardly anything. Sperma said, we got to pay these men $16. How would you suggest we do that? We had $16, spent 20 cents for coffee and toast, because you were feeling faint, so we're might short of $16. Guess I better get back to those fellas. When he came back, he announced that the boat guy had settled for 1580, plus 20 of the round things. Sperma was some proud he'd worked them down from 100 to 20 floats. To say that Manley paid with a smile would be a bit of a stretch, but he did pay 1580 and now they were buxed, except for what was left of Sperma's $31 transfusion, and Manley wasn't touching that. How's this sound, Manley? We'll load all them floats in the badge, beach her, back the truck down, and we all turn to and load the truck then drive over and drop them off in back of the Sam's. Come back and grab another load. Do this until they're all delivered. Okay, Chief, how's that sound? Manley had seen one of the floats fall off the loaded boat, 
and was amazed to see it float like a feather. He was beginning to think that $15.80 might have been a very worthwhile investment. Just as Sperma had suggested, they loaded all the floats aboard and drove the LCVP onto the beach near the pier. The floats were transported and dumped as planned. There were so many, and with their tendency to roll, they had to be corralled. But they had to figure out now what to do with their new boat. There was no room in Scuttle Harbor and probably wouldn't be for a long time. The most logical place for a mooring was Moore's Cove, but they had no money to buy chain. They didn't seem to know which way to turn. Manley suggested they try sailing up to a few buoys to see how that would work out. A disturbing thought had been rattling around in his head since he first laid eyes on the high-sided barge. What would you think of us hauling a few traps? If you think so, but shouldn't we wait till it's dark? I don't mean shagging someone's traps, sperm. I mean we can haul some of my father's traps just to see if we can make this rig work. You say so, Manly, I'm with ya. Heading out of the harbor, they pulled alongside Shad Smythe's dragger and borrowed a long goff. Figuring he obviously wasn't gonna going out this late in the day, when they saw one of Manley's buoys, they tried to retrieve it. Tried and tried to get alongside the buoy and finally gave it up as a bad job. Next, the bow ramp was lowered till it was a foot and a half or so above the water. Manley swung her around and put the bow close to the buoy. It was an easy job now for Sperma to hook the buoy and haul it aboard. With a lot of help from Richie, they pulled the lobster trap to the surface where it came up under the ramp but no amount of maneuvering got it clear. Sperma went aft and talked to Manley, who was ready for him. What do you think of our new lobster boat, Sperma? I think she ain't worth nothing for a lobster boat. But if your Uncle Henry wasn't kidding us, we ain't keeping her much longer. Suppose he was serious. Oh, I'm sure he meant every word. You've seen those hands. Do you think with hands like that he'd be a kidder? Well, all's I know is was some damn lucky, wouldn't you say so, Richie? Yes, but I don't know what he said, answered Richie with a straight face. All three laughed. Now we need to agree where we go from here. We sell her to my uncle for whatever he wants to give us. Well, we try to sell her for as much as we can get. That could mean no lobster in this season. Well, we probably should go talk to Uncle Henry as soon as we can and take it from there, don't you think? Spammer, there are times that your common sense just amazes me. I can't fathom you. Let's go to Halftown. Can I see his hands, Manly? But with the engine accelerating, no one heard him. A quick stop to return the borrowed gaff, and they scooted over to Halftown. You fellows are back sooner than I expected. She didn't work out, huh? The only way you could haul traps in that rig is from the beach. Sperman didn't try to hide the reason for the quick return. Everything that makes her a fine landing craft makes her more unusable as a lobster boat, I'm afraid, Uncle. Manley wanted to say more, but for once left it unsaid. Coffee, anyone? 
Henry looked at all three, one at a time. Two declined, but Richie asked for a cup if he had lemon. Uncle Henry grinned, and Manley looked perplexed. Coffee and half lemon were presented to the young boy, and they all noted the look on his face when he took a sip. Now I have to tell you boys, I talked to Abraham Lewis this morning and talked LCVPs with him. He called them LVPs. His asking price was thirty-seven fifty. After a lot of bargaining, he'd accept thirty-four hundred, but only because that was his lucky number. He's quite a guy. When I said it would have to be cash on delivery, he said they'd already lost one outside Portland Head and he wasn't about to lose another three hundred dollars. Imagine that. Buy them for three hundred, sell for three thousand or more. We're all in the wrong business, gentlemen. How about another cup of lemon coffee, Richie? Oh, no thank you, Uncle Henry. I think I'm good. Well, I gotta make my half-tied trip in a few minutes, so if we gonna do business, we better get at it. Here's my offer. For the LCVP, I'll offer $3,400 minus the hauler if you want. It'll be $3,100, my favorite number. Do we got a deal? Oh, no, Uncle. We didn't pay anywhere near that much, and we got that giant coil of rope to boot. Manley was very distressed and about to say more. Sperma jumped in with his two cents. Don't forget, Manley, it's delivered. We better let Henry buy her. Let me tell you boys something that I didn't learn till I was much older than you. No matter what it is, the price is whatever someone is willing to pay for it. He checked his watch. Come on, Habby, we got a ferry to run. He hurried down the dock with his mate running to catch up. Harvey didn't need to be told to check the bus for confused passengers. Manley yelled at his uncle. What about the boat? It's yours. We'll just tie her on the eastern side of the wharf. We'll move her when I get back. Hurry it up and we'll wait for you. I'll go below until the passengers some sell some sea stories. That'll please them. On the way back to Scuttle, Richie seemed quieter as if he was doing some heavy thinking. Manley, who had been up visiting his uncle, returned to tell what he had found out. Uncle Henry said he'd have a check for us in a day or two. Sperma was so excited at the prospects that he grabbed Richie and tried to get him to dance. <laughs> Richie would have no part of it. They were in Gainley's truck heading east when Richie finally got to say what was on his mind. I saw Uncle Henry's fingers. Why did they saw them all different lengths? I bet it was them Japs. That was very nice and proper to wait until we were well away before you brought up the subject. Manley decided to tell the story about Henry's fingers as he had heard it more than once. Henry, when he was about your age, was a lively kid and had been bounding his father to take him fishing. So there came a day in February when it was to be cold but flat calm. Grandpa Clyde relented and took his son line trawling. It was a fine day and Henry was having fun gaffing fish that broke free of the hooks when they reached the surface. About noon, they had lunch 
and shortly after, Henry lay down beside the engine box. He was soon asleep, and his father kept hauling his muscle-baited trawls. He was having a very good catch with even, once in a while, a large steak cod. He was near on the end of his last trawl when he noticed that the fish were freezing as soon as he hauled them out of the water. He immediately checked on Henry and discovered that the boy, who had been out of sight behind the engine cover, didn't have his thick woolen mittens on. Manley looked at his rider and asked him how long they had been stopped by Sperma's path. Not very long, was Richie's reply. Don't forget going on with the story, Manley. Did Sperma get home? Richie turned and peered up. Yep, I think so. Well, let's see. Grandpa Clyde just discovered that Henry had taken off his wet woolen mittens, and he knew that the boy had been out of the sun for quite a while. A glance at the hands, and he quickly scooped up a bucket of seawater. He sat Henry up and pushed his hands into the slightly above freezing water. Henry started crying, but his father wouldn't let him take his hands out of the water. He cut away the trawl, got the engine started, and made the long trip home. He beached the boat on the mudflats nearest his home. Without even dropping the anchor, they ran for the house. Grandpa told my grandmother that he was pretty sure that Henry's fingers had froze. He then took off at a run for the doctor's house, still in his high boots, and it was mostly uphill. He got there just as the doctor and his wife were climbing up on their horse-drawn sleigh. Clyde told his fears to them and turned down their offer of a ride back to his home. Clyde certainly would have loved a ride, but he couldn't get in their wagon smelling a fish with Mrs. Black present. They had been headed for a hymn-sing, Angus Black explained. He'd drop his wife off at the church and proceed directly to the cousin's home. When my grandmother heard the sleigh arrive outside, she was relieved because she was worried about my grandpa Clyde. She thought he looked awful pale. When she discovered he wasn't with them, she commenced to worry some more, and of course she already had Henry to worry about. Unknown to anyone, except maybe Grandpa, that strong fisherman's hat had been trying to tell him something for a while, but he just wouldn't listen. He had made it to the back door and fell flat on the porch. Nobody knew whether the locked back door had anything to do with him dying, but it gave Grandmother Eva another reason to feel guilty. Manley put the shift lever in low and headed for home. That enough, Rich, eh? You still didn't tell me about his fingers. Well, it seems that Dr. Black was a surgeon in World War I and had seen so much gangrene that he was scared to death of it. His recommendation was to remove all the parts of both hands that had been obviously frozen and prayed that they had taken enough. And that's why they're all different lengths. Did you see that his left thumb was whole? And Dr. Black said he could see a trace of pink in it, and then a man needed a thumb so he could grasp things. They were now parked at Manley's house. When they found my grandfather's body, it was froze stiff as a poker. It wasn't often anyone was in the sitting room, and it surprised Manley to find both his parents in there with the light on, waiting for him. 
This must be quite an occasion with you both in here. Truly spoke up. All we know is that our only son's activities are that he has been busy as a bee. The scuttlebutt that finds its way down here on the point says, You bought the landing badge, Gainley said, staring intently at his son. Gainley had spent the time that Manley was out gallivanting around building new buoys. Truly had scraped and painted the fish house and was now talking about doing the house. She thought the painted fish house looked so much nicer. They had been asleep when Manley got home last night, and again when he went out this morning, so they were some anxious to hear what he had been doing. He told about his trip to Portland, buying the LCVP and the giant coil of manila rope. Gainley's eyes shone when he thought about it. I think they use these landing badges in the Pacific Theater, said Truly, who listened to news reports whenever she could. They all had a cup of tea, and Manley noticed Richie had canned milk in his. The tea reminded Manley to tell about Uncle Henry swapping 400 pounds of pot wop for a giant coil of two-inch manila. He told his parents about getting Joy and her brother from the train, how they missed the low tide because of the flat tires and how Lester wouldn't get out of the truck and of Harvey's idea of loading them into the landing barge. He told about Joy backing the truck aboard their new vessel and where they landed on Soames Beach how she drove the truck off the landing barge and up the beach to firm ground, how he took over and drove the old road to the main road, and about the firecrackers landing on the hood of the truck and Lester's reaction. His tale continued with their fearful trip to the doctor's cottage and the encouraging words from the foot doctor. Manny was warming up to all the attention. Everything got off to flying stat this morning when I forgot it was low tide and the bus would be making its first trip. That's why I left Sedan early. Then the bus come, and we visited Uncle Henry, who told us that the landing badge looked like it might be a good idea for the ferry company. After the bus left, we had no more than gotten back to the barge when a lobster boat, right loaded with these black things, pulled up alongside the badge. I'm right dry. Anyone for a glass of water? None for me, thanks. Truly answered. What were the black things, Manley? Gimli had heard something about them before. Sperma had to own up to the fact that he had talked to some guys in South Portland about buying all the black things they could get him at the half at a half cent apiece. They were in the shipyard dump, which is a strange place for Sperma to be shopping. He hadn't mentioned any of this to me, because according to Sperma, you never want to spend a damn cent. Something was bothering me about the loaded boat, and it struck me all to once. She was floating as if she was empty. Sperma may have stumbled onto a gold mine. I told him, and his answer was what you'd expect. Oh, I do these things all the time. You just don't notice. And we ran short of money, did some hoss trading, and moved all the unnamed black things to the badge, and then back to Sam's. Manley stopped talking and looked at his interested listeners. Must be some tired out after the day you had, Julie spoke with sympathy. Oh, our day was far from over, Mom. We decided to go haul a few traps. <laughs> he laughed and then told him what Sperma said when he mentioned hauling traps. He said to me, Shouldn't we wait till dark, Manley? Anyhow, 
We tried high to haul one of your traps, and there was no way to get her aboard. We couldn't even tell if it caught anything. He stood for a moment, then sat on the hassock. You can imagine what was going through our minds. We'd spent most all our money on a boat that was plumb useless. Sperma suggested we go talk to Uncle Henry, so off we went to Half Town. Uncle Henry and Harvey Longstreet got in from their high tide run soon after we got there, so we visited with them at Uncle's house. Uncle's first words were, she didn't work out so lobster but I guess. Is that right, boys? It all worked out, so we left the badge there, and now we are here. So you sold the landing badge you bought yesterday, is that right? Ganley inquired. Yep, we did that. Made close to 3500 in the deal. We was some lucky. He just noticed that Richie had disappeared. Where's Richie? He go to bed? Well, <laughs> he went out to the shop to finish the scoop he was building for his father. With that, truly got up and looked out the window. He's still out there. My last story, Uncle Henry ordered coffee and Richie was the only yes, as long as there's lemon to put in it. I wish you could have seen his face every time we, he took a sip, but the little bugger drank every drop. He's quite a kid. One of them round things, and what in the world could you do with 2,000? Ganley was fascinated by the subject. Truly could not restrain herself from jumping in. If they were cannon jazz, I'd know what to do with them. Sperma has experimented with the no-name things and says they'd float just about forever. Just you imagine boys that would float even if the tide run them under for a while. Seems like an impossible dream. Ganley had stars in his eyes from thinking about floating forever. How would you make buoys out of them, son? Well, it's about three-quarter inch hole every single one. Think about it more. The hole could be a bit bigger even if maybe an inch. I don't know what this world is coming to, spoke Ganley as if they were being, as, as, as they were being called at supper. Boys that could float forever? We hauled one of your traps, but couldn't get her aboard, so I don't know if there was anything to haul for. The only shedder I've heard of was Woodrow's, and that was, what, a good week or more ago? Guess they'll be a little late this year. Truly entered with a large bowl of mashed potatoes. While there, she asked Gainley to save a mess of crabs when he next hauled. She said she wanted to have crab meat before Manley went back. Gainley asked Richie, who'd also been called for supper, you ready to haul tomorrow, weather allowing? I sure am, Uncle Gainley, but my license ain't come back. I know, but the state of Maine doesn't care as long as they get you five dollars. My, your pot roast is even better than the Hungry's. And where'd you find tomatoes with flavor? Mr. Lester said they were from a hothouse near Portland, but he also said they were worth every cent they cost, and he was right. I figured that they were almost 25 cents apiece. That's more than a soft lobster. Probably we should have a hothouse, was Gainley's solution. After clearing the truck situation with his parents the next morning, Manley took off just as the sun peeked over Drunkard Ledge. He found Sperma in his regular spot. 
Spam, I'd be nervous as a witch that some driver wouldn't see me in time and would run me over. Well, that's no worry. Everyone knows I'm here. That is, except for them dumb summer people. The best thing about them is that you never see any of them before 9.30 in the morning. They don't never seem to learn nothing. They never slow down, let alone stop. What do you think? We go visit Sam and see if buying that yacht makes any sense. Doesn't seem possible that we could be thinking about buying a brand new boat. Think we might be a little bit nuts, Bob? Hey, you the brains of the outfit, Manly. I would follow you anywhere. Sperma felt that he sounded silly and didn't know what to say to change it. Since he was five years old, he had admired and respected Manly Moore and tried to emulate him any way he could. And as much as he was a different type, he was always straining his sneakiness, his cockiness, his attitude with girls. All these attributes were inside him trying to run free. Despite his best efforts, some things would break loose and come charging out. Probably you wouldn't know the mess I got in with the Navy, Manly opened up a mic. Right now, I don't know what's going to become of me. Hopefully nothing, but less than two weeks, I do think I'll know. Well, Sam was hard at work when the boys strode in. What you building, Sam? Sperma wanted to know. I'm deciding to build some punts, yes. Edna told me to make some money, Sam, for school. Kids, even big ones, need clothes for which I build punts. Sam, we sold the land and barge for quite a bit of money, over $3,000. $3,369, to be exact. Do you think if we put that much down, we could finance the rest through the bank? Golly gee whiskers, Manly. I guess I don't know that much about anything, but okay. Manly still had the floor. Sam, say we took off as many of the fancy things as possible and did the things she'd need to be a lobster boat. Can you give us a clue how much we are talking? Oh, my goodness only knows. It will have to be Edna that will probably be the one to tell us. All that I have to say to you is right there. Sorry. How did you learn to build boats, Sam? Asked Sperma. Not so's you'd notice, but I never did learn. I just build boats. I just never learned how. Guess you didn't need to learn looking at that beauty. Thanks to you, I give Sperm. I'd say much obliged. Scuttlebutt! Ain't it a shame? Nobody knows, nobody's to blame. The truth ain't pretty, I think you'd agree. Just don't you tell nobody that you heard it from me.